Welcome to the Eastern Current Saltwater Fishing Podcast presented by Outdoors by Owner. OBO helps the outdoorsmen find the perfect home to rent for their next outdoor pursuit. Whether you're looking for a house right on the shallow water flats of Florida Bay with world-class sight fishing right out your back door, or you want to find a weekend mountain getaway for you and your family, OBO has the house for you. To check out all their incredible properties, visit go-obo.com. On today's podcast, I chat with Captain Park Jones of Oak Island Sport Fishing Charters. We chat about fishing with the tournament mindset, jigging gold spoons for redfish, and much more. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast where my guide buddies and I discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. There is no stealthier platform to fish the shallow water flats, creeks, and marshes than a pedal drive kayak. The P127 from Bonafide is my choice when I want to get out on a solo trip and access the areas that I can't get to on a flat skiff or a bay boat. It happens far too often in a boat where I have redfish and plenty of water in the back of a creek or bay, but there's a sandbar or series of sandbars between me and the fish and I just can't quite make it to casting distance. But with a kayak, I can drag across the sandbar right to them. Be sure to check out the full lineup of Bonafide kayaks on the website or at Hook, Line, and Paddle here in Wilmington. I will have a link to the Bonafide website in the show notes as well. Parks, what's going on, man? I know it's raining down there on, on you today. It's raining here on me, so we're uh, we're definitely not on the water. Uh, but, man, thanks for jumping on the podcast with me. Man, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is awesome. Uh, just tackle prep with a rainy day. Uh, trip got rescheduled, so uh, nice day to get the uh, rods rigged and tackle prep for uh, up-and-coming charters. Awesome. Heck yeah. So give people a little bit, we'll get into your full blown fishing story, but give people a little bit of your background, just where you are, where you fish real quick. Um, so people kind of get an understanding. So I'm out of Oak Island. Uh, I've been down here since the late nineties and, uh, backcountry fishing, redfish, trout, flounder, inshore Spanish, uh, big king fisherman. Uh, I started my guide business in 2000, so I did a lot of uh, offshore trips to uh, Dolphin, Kingfish, fish the SK, and did that. But um, my background's from Charlotte. I lived on Lake Wiley. We had a summer home out there, and uh, that's where I started my bass fishing uh, career. Um, I was fortunate enough to uh, – I was bit by the bug uh, at an early age. I was fishing. My dad had aluminum boat for me, and I was – fishing tournaments uh, i know people be hard to believe but at 12 years old i was fishing bass tournaments and that's awesome one my yeah won my first tournament at like 14 or 15 and went full-time pro right out of high school so yeah it's been a been a fun fun journey so tell me when did the transition from the bass fishing turn into your you know your passion that you have for the salt water now uh just coming to the coast uh king fishing and always um love to fish backwater swampy areas that's how i fish bass and then about uh 98 i was sponsored by fountain and bob proc i think was his name he had the asa striper thing going on within we were all traveling and doing boat shows and stuff and they just come out with the isa uh redfish series and nice. I fished a couple of those and got bit by the bug doing that. So I really wanted to be a redfish tournament angler, but I had commitments with not only my kingfishing deal, but with my bass stuff. So I didn't get to explore um, the redfish trail as I wanted to back in 
99 or 2000, I think, when all that kicked off. But I still fished in the backwaters and stuff like that. It's fun. Just, you know, it was a release for me from my bass fishing and uh, kingfishing stuff. So tell me this, as someone who's an avid bass angler as well as an inshore angler, let's just talk, let's compare redfish and, and largemouth bass. Which which species do you feel like requires more out of an angler? Like as far as to to really dial in and to be competitive at, which do you think which do you think is a you know a tougher fish year round overall? That's a really good question. So the the key to both redfish and bass, you have to have patience. You have to have a mentality to understand the environment that you're fishing, both bass and redfish. So the, the what's so wild about a redfish, me coming from the bass world, it's almost like a saltwater bass. It, it patterns so much like a bass that people don't realize. But the key to it is you have to have patience. And I tell my clients, it's like when you start, it's 7 o'clock this morning, and we're going out, listen, guys, at whatever – 10 minutes before our charter ends, I need your enthusiasm to still be the same from when we started this morning to 10 minutes before we shut down. Right. And you have to be committed. But as far as the redfish, I've noticed they're almost like a bass. And that's why it's been so successful for me to, to transition. You, you can fish <clears throat> shallow. You can fish, um, creeks you can fish creek channels uh i fish a whole different way than most people do for red fishing yeah. i drop shot i tokyo rig i i fish super 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 gnarly off the grid super shallow uh 12 months out of the year january i'm in four inches of water i'm, I'm pulling i'm digging i got shovels i'm pull you know pulling the boat over flats and <clears throat> fishing super shallow and that's what i did bass fishing is as I ran up, if I went to a different lake or, or a river system it was bass, I went as far up the river as I could go so I ran aground and that's when I started practicing. <laughs> and that's the same, same way with red fishing. I'm a river rat. I love swamp areas, backwater, and I just, it helped me. But <clears throat> when you run into like early spring, we have these transitions with the weather and stuff like that. I think they're almost equal bass. Uh, you know, they, they're very temperamental with the weather changes, high pressure, stuff like that. But redfish are also affected by it. Now, a bass, he's around a tree or he's in Florida, he's around grass, stuff like that. These redfish tend to be a little bit different <clears throat> as far as when a punk comes in. Right. You can still catch these fish. These fish are still like when <clears throat> the wind's blowing 20 miles an hour and people, oh, my God, the wind's blowing. Listen, that wind only is affecting you it's not affecting those fish those fish reposition on a little <clears throat> so you're fishing this flat and you've got sparse grass out there and you've got oyster bars and you've got little clumps and all that you have to find the drain you have to have the feeder creek the highway every fish doesn't matter if it's a bass or a crappie or a red fish or a catfish it has to have a highway to get into that flat and if you'll back off, it might only be a foot depression, but that red laying, he's just bellying right in that little depression. You throw a drop shot rig or a Tokyo rig or a finesse style system, you can catch those fish. And I'm talking six or seven pounders to win tournaments with. Uh, yeah. You know, I back up with my clients. I read the, you know, I try to start them off at artificial, depending on the tide. You know, if it's high tide, I put them up shallow. And uh, I try to get them an artificial bite. If you got a nine or a thirteen-year-old child or somebody on there, you know their attention span's gonna be short. So I back them up, and you know we do the live bait right quick. Get them, you know, right. six, seven little reds, and then I'll put them back. But you know, you 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 can almost adapt any bass fishing technique with red fishing. Uh, yeah, I was with Mega Bass for about ten uh, years uh, working ICAST with Mister Ito dinner. So I have a lot of neat Japanese swim baits and techniques that they use that um, glide baits and stuff that I've been working with on these redfish and it's really been productive. Um, that's on a tournament situation. If you're just fun fishing <clears throat> for redfish, you can pretty much on the tide, um, whether the tide's high or the, whether it's low tide, 
you can pattern these fish identical to a bass. They're going to be staged up on a low tide on the creek funnel when they're coming out. Um, You just need to know if they're, you know, what they're feeding on. Right. Um, Need to have the right bait. Um, Every day can be successful. You just have to adapt. But it takes patience. Uh, If you have an expectation that you're going to go fishing today and you're going to catch 25, then you, 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 you've already set yourself up for failure. Uh, you, you might fish three hours in a bay, and I'm practicing. It's got beautiful oyster rock. <clears throat> I'm looking at bait everywhere. I'm not getting bit, and it's three hours into this deal. You can't get rattled and, and bail. I'll turn right back around and fish that same area <clears throat> with a different bait, a different situation, different profile, slow my presentation down and boom catch a seven boom catch a six boom catch a five and these fish can be anywhere um and that's what's so fun about it to me is 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 in a tournament when we fish bass when you see these guys fishing people don't realize on the third day they're not on their primary spots anymore We're, we're we are able to fish in a competitive manner at a high level, I can go into a creek on that third day. I've made the cut, and I'm in that third day. I've never even been there. I've never even seen it on the map. But the wind is blowing right. The weather conditions right. There's a little dirt line in there. And I can go in there and fix that with as much confidence if that was my A-game stuff. And yeah. that's how the red can is for me. I can, I can barrel down a creek in behind Ballhead where I fish. And I'll see a drain that I've never fished. I'll go in there with as much confidence as some of my my primary stuff, and boom, catch a fish. It's it, you know you just have to have the mindset to explore. Yeah. And even you're you're four hours down and you're not catching a fish, you still have to be mentally prepared to to catch a fish. And that's what helped me from bass fishing because we had multi days of practice daylight till dark people don't realize we we started at daybreak and we fished till dark to practice so that mindset has helped adapt into my fishing whether it's charter fishing to keep my clients on fish or tournaments uh to try to win tournaments or or even take uh friends out you want to be successful so you know my wife always gets on me she's she's like you're never going to make any money with this guiding because these these customers you'll keep them out like if if their trip ends at two i'm still just fishing it's like hold on man the the dude the tide just went out we got to hit this one more spot and they're like hey man i gotta i gotta i gotta beat the wife you know right, i gotta get right. in and they're like dude i can't i was like no dude current i'm telling you man tides out dude we're gonna jack one come on and it'll be like all right so we'll go up there and boom you know we'll catch a big fish and it's now it's four thirty i'm two and a half hours past <laughs> yeah right. So, right. My wife's like, you're never going to make any money. <laughs> but I just, I'm wired to fish 100% <clears throat> from daylight to dark. I like and, what you said about, you know, needing to adventure, needing to be get, get out and feel confident. And, and I feel like so much of that comes from having confidence with past scouting and, and having confidence in areas you know you can catch fish. And then when you can go and really see that same breakdown somewhere else it gives you that confidence that hey it could happen here you know where i remember early on in my trying to figure out redfish like in college when i really started to kind of seriously want to catch a bunch of redfish high school was when i you know started catching redfish and it was fun but it was more just i was fishing and i was catching redfish trout and flounder if i was lucky you know and then in college i like really wanted to go out and sight fish redfish there's such a learning curve uh, where it comes to you know the fact of confidence and teaching yourself to stay in the game and teaching yourself to to not you know get beat up because it's tough um and really grinding out and making something happen so i feel like as a tournament angler that's something you have to have you know driven into you and that you know each angler is different um they're a level of involvement so you might have a businessman that's busy with, with work. We all have children. We all have right. families. We all, you know, it's no different than your golf game or, or whatever you put your mindset into, but you have to understand the fish. And you pull up in a flat. <clears throat> you've done everything right. You got the best bait. You got the great line. You got fantastic rods. <clears throat> and you see that six up there belly crawling. You have to know 
by fishing or learning or whatever, but it, some of us have that instinct, and, and not saying I'm the greatest angler ever, but I have an instinct that I can see that fish, and I know where to place that cat, and I know where to make that fish bite. And there's nothing more exciting to watch this fish, me pissing that fish off with the bait, and it just come over there and just annihilate it. But <laughs> I create so <laughs> Yeah, I made that fish bite. Not because the bait was there and he's a apex predator and he's wanting to kill that bait. I made that fish bite. I controlled the situation. Right. And that's the fine line that people don't realize. You, anybody can cast over there. And he's feeding, sure. He's he's cruising along. As long as you didn't spook him, you gave him enough lead time, he's going to eat. But the, the, the art of that is to hit that bait in a certain twitch, Paul, boom, and, and make him like, and then he just blows over there. And just, I mean, dude, the toilet flush of that is, is, is so insane. It's incredible. It, it is. And one of the things that, that I, you, you realize as you really spend a lot of time sight casting to any fish that is, but especially redfish. Like I tell people on the fly rod, if you make a proper cast to where it needs to be on your standard sight fishable shot with a fly, you should need no more than five strips to get that fish to eat. Maybe one or two yeah. big ones, let it sit, then bump, 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 and then the fish is eaten. Same it's with over. a spin rod or a bait caster. You pitch it in the right spot, yep. two twitches should be all you really need. That first one to bring it into play and that second one to initiate the bite, and that and then that, that's it. Not saying you have to, but if you're an angler that's out there that's desiring perfection and wanting to be the best you can, like go, making the right cast with the right bait and the right depth – you know, those are all pieces because I can't go throw a half a half ounce jig to a redfish in a foot of water and expect to land that fit, that bait in the same place that I could throw, you know, a small Ned rig in there and and be able to get him to bite it. Like obviously, the bigger the bait, the louder. You got to lead him a little bit more, keep it away from him. But I mean, yeah. if if you're fishing the right tackle and you put it in the right spot, the bait needs to spend very little time in the water before it's in the fish's mouth. If that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, and that's an awesome point <clears throat> that you brought up there is, is I try to express to my clients and anybody that's fishing with me, when you make that cast, low center of gravity, everything low, side cast it. Don't bomb that bait out there. When you're fishing a, a grass line or whatever, throw that bait as low as you can to the water because I'm used to skipping under docks. I'm used to skipping under boats. Uh, pontoons, boathouses, stuff like that. But if you keep that bait loaded loaded to water <clears throat> and if you see a stalk, you've already you've already gauged where you're trying to make that cast, but if you see a stalk of grass or whatever, make that bait kiss it and just fall in the water quietly. If you're losing a twenty five foot area in a round hoop every time you go kabloosh, you've you've lost twenty five feet. I don't care what fish it is, a bass or a redfish. So then you're picking up for the next 20, you're 50 feet. So you've lost 75% of your, your cast right off the bat to me in the strike zone. <clears throat> and you have to, um, the entry is paramount on, on catching these fish. I mean, there's so many times that I've thrown a spoon <clears throat> and you're bomb casting it and it, and you're trying to get way, way, way up into the grass. But, but right when it's getting ready to hit the water, if you'll stop that, with your finger on the spool and snap it, it'll go, boom, it'll make that noise. Yeah. And that's all you have to do. And, and, and all of a sudden, you'll get a fish instantly. But if you'd have blew, blown that water up, you'd have never got that box. Right. Very true. Very, very true. And a lot of times that the skipping for the redfish, especially if they're real shallow belly crawling or focusing on eating shrimp, if you skip that bait in there and they see it a few feet ahead of them or a foot or two ahead of them as it's coming in, it does nothing but fire them up more because they see a little bait fish or a little yeah. shrimp skipping across the top. And a lot of times they'll kick over there yeah. and eat it before you can even close your bail or start your retrieve. So what do you find, what do you think is the most productive casting tool for so fly rod spin rod bait caster what do you think if in sight fishing redfish is the is the top tier as far as like you can do the most with this uh rod uh that's a good question too i mean sight fishing for reds and if you're an experienced angler on fly rod it can't be beat uh for the everyday angler for everyone to enjoy and the little more leniency the spinning rod uh, hands yeah. down, um, so many different baits, 
that you can use choices, um, whatever level you are on casting, um, everybody can enjoy the spinning rod. Now, the bait caster, <clears throat> you know, uh, you really don't need a bait caster in red fishing, uh, unless you're in Louisiana or something and you want to catch, you know, some big fish and, and they're just really tight in the grass. But, um, it just depends on your style. The spinning rod, you can throw a spoon on a spinning rod. Um, you can throw swim baits on a spinning rod. And, you know, I use ultralight line. A lot of people, you know, probably gear up. I fish a little bit different than everybody. I use super light line. Uh, I want that extra cast. I worry about getting the fish to bite. Then I worry about getting him in the boat. But I use, you know, 10 uh, Power Pro uh, Slick 8 V2 braid. Uh, I think it's the finest braid on the market. Uh, I use in tournament situations and a little bit thicker. I use 15 pound, but I use 12 pound fluorocarbon <clears throat> is my staple. Uh, I know people are like, what? I mean, that's just unheard of. Uh, 14 is heavy to me. Uh, if I'm throwing 14 pound um, fluorocarbon, it, it's affecting the bait to me on a little swim bait, whether that's a Z-Man um you know, diesel minnow or whatever. I know people use 17 and 20 and they probably catch tons of fish, but I, I, I have a different approach. I'm a, more of a finesse. I'm a heavy, heavy cover. I can throw that spoon. Uh, now I'll, I'll step up on the spoon. I'll, I'll still run 15 pound braid, but I might, I might pick up on the top water spoon. I might pick up to 17 pound test fluorocarbon. Um, but, you can cast that into the denses uh, of grass and still catch and bring a seven pounder out. I haven't broke, I don't break off many fish. I don't, I just, that's a pet peeve to me. And I can count on one hand how many times I've broken the fish off. Now, if the oyster rock or something, but I change line, I constantly retie. You know, every, every fish is definitely a retie. Every 30 minutes or I'm checking my line or whatever, I'm retying. So, you know, there, I might have to change my leader out two, three times a day where a lot of people don't like to do that. I, I've got an efficiency. I can, I can tie my leader pretty quick. So I'm changing my line out constantly. Uh, something I did in bass fishing. Um, you know, we retie constantly and, and that way you, you keep your percentages up. But, uh, but yeah, I have a little bit different approach when it comes to that. Yeah, it, I, I feel like in the saltwater world, it's it's so different than the bass world, and we've got stuff that's way gnarlier to line a lot of times out there. So yeah, but, and it's not pressure, you know, while I'm doing that. It's just I get the bites. Like in bass fishing, we have recreational anglers that are fishing the docks, uh, creek channels, drop offs. They're out, you know, when the fish get out deep. You know, we have pressure. You know, where I fish at, um, behind the Ballhead and Oak Island, Southport area. I'll be honest with you, I don't ever have a boat in there fishing with me. In, in the past five years, and I don't like to go back and say, oh, well, back in the day, I like to say around a three-year to five-year when I talk about that, but I haven't ever had a boat on top of me ever in the last three to five years. So I'm not. it's not pressure. Uh, nobody's back there pressuring these fish. It's just I think that you get a, you know, a better bite. Now, of course, if, you know, an aggressive fish is going to bite to be 30-pound test. It doesn't matter, but I feel like I get more bites. And when I go fishing, <clears throat> I'm not trying to catch 100 fish. I want to catch quality fish for my tournament. So I want to catch 25 to 27 inch fish. And I want them to be seven and a quarter to close to eight pounds, which, you know, everybody does. But, right. um, you know, I, I just called a 20. I, I, I'm practicing with a new bait <clears throat> for the last several months. And it's a Yamato uh, Yanko, but it's got the paddler on it. But I, I use these little swim bait hooks with a blade on it, and I've got like 30 different brands. I've got everything from Japan, BMC, Gamagatsu, Owner. And each one of these hooks, kind of like you do with your little bait tank, you're putting the bait center. I'm practicing every day I go out. I'm practicing sink rate, how that thing rolls in the uh, oysters, how it rolls in the grass. I call it an eight nine the other day it was late in the afternoon <clears throat> started raining on me i didn't have my rain suit it's sunny hot all of a sudden it started raining and i was like dude i gotta check this one more spot throw this bait i was using a different hook on it with a blade on it called an eight nine 
But now she was 27 and a quarter, just over. But just think, that was an eight-pound, nine-ounce fish, and I just caught that fish about two weeks ago. That's crazy. That that so. What were you saying? Her belly was so full; she looked like a bass spawn. I mean, she was full. Wow. I got it on my on my uh, on my page, but yeah, she was eight nine. Man, that's crazy. That is crazy. So one question I want to ask you, just because of how technical you are and how, how seriously you take the tech side of fishing, which I do as well, um, what do you feel like is a common mistake or some common mistakes maybe your weekend warriors might make as far as decision-making goes or tackle choice or you know rod reel? Is there anything that kind of comes to mind that you, you feel like people should know that might be overlooking something simple they could change? Absolutely. Um, hook size versus the bait diesel minnow is a very good elastic bait z-man makes i think everybody throws it um the little z paddle bait um the smaller uh profile bait if they'll throw a 316th ounce hook uh eye strike makes it it's a trout eye actually it's a little shorter shank uh for the little uh z paddle <clears throat> bait if they'll throw a 316th ounce throw it on you know, 10 pound braid and 12 pound fluorocarbon leader, uh, two foot leader, they'll catch fish. I think what people mistake is, is they put quarter ounce and they're not used to fishing a quarter ounce. So I think a quarter ounce for the inexperienced angler is too heavy. I think it, it varies into the oysters and it gets hung all the time. If you're getting hung right. all the time, that's not fun. And it's, and it's not a, efficient. Um, back up to a 316th. Uh, depending on current <clears throat> and depending on where you're fishing, go to an eight ounce. I mean, if you're if you're fishing deep, six foot, four foot drop off, and you're you know what you're doing, and you're you can throw a quarter ounce. But I think that people are rigging these baits um, incorrectly, and that's paramount that to, to having any action with any bait is having the proper uh, hook in it. And you know, you if if you set up, you know, throwing. Uh, a top water that's pretty easy they can a top dog or spook or whatever that's you know that's pretty easy to, to do it. but but there there again people might not know you don't need to throw fluorocarbon on a top water spook you need to run monofilament it floats you don't need any line sinking when that line sinks <clears throat> and you're twit 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 and that line sinking it's slapping the line so monofilament has stretch in it, so when you make that long cast and that big fish bites, it has a stretch in it. That's a that's a plus, and also monofilament floats. A lot of people, you know, the new newer guys, I think, don't understand that. Everybody's on the fluorocarbon and they want to run fluorocarbon on everything. I throw I throw twenty pound big game Berkeley on my spoon uh, back home, uh, deep water jigging uh, for bass. Like after the spawn, like right now, they make a big transition. And, um, and for that stretch, cause I'm 28 feet down with an ounce and a half spoon and I'm catching five, six pound bass, I need that stretch. And that's the same thing with your top water. But, uh, but yeah, for the recreational angler, any of the Z-Man products, the swim bait, uh, you rig it with a 316th ounce trout eye, or you can run a strike, uh, the strike eye, I think the, the swivel head, what do they call that one? The Texas eye. The Texas eye. Uh, that's a that's a staple. I mean, any oyster bar, whether the tide's coming in or falling, um, if you don't have a boat to get up in the shallow water, um, you can fish the creeks. A lot of people don't realize this. <clears throat> and, and like I said, I fish a totally different manner than most people for red fishing. But as the water's flowing into these creeks, going into the flats where I like to fish, and I know you might, you know, some guys might not have a boat that can get up in there. Don't worry about the flats. That, that flat's great, and there's fish up there. But that little creek coming in, it might be a football field long. <clears throat> you can flip, and, I, and I'm speaking this in a bathroom, you can flip three-quarter ounce spoons going into that creek, trolling motor and into the creek, flipping a little eddy and, and jigging that spoon. I use a three-quarter ounce because it punches through that grass, and you can go into that creek in those mouths, Throw that spoon and jig it just like a jig and catch six pound fish. I do it every day. Yeah. I think that's you, one thing that people a, miss miss out on in, in the freshwater or the saltwater world 
is everyone kind of thinks that you have to fully like reel in or retrieve a spoon instead of actually jigging it. And and Uh, like jigging is one of the most effective ways to fish a spoon. Yep. And you can flip, you can flip that whole Creek channel going into that flat or wherever your boats can make it and catch redfish. And, you know, there's a whole other technical side to the deep water side of it. Uh, pressure, high pressure, uh, whatever's going on with wind or whatever, and you can't get up in that flat and it's just blowing and it's just gnarly and it's just like, man, this is just blown out, it's dirty, a lot of current back off. <clears throat> it's the oyster bars that you practice that are super shallow. So I want to fish the most shallow oyster bars there are. So when the high tide comes up, it's only two feet deep. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. And I throw a drop shot. People say, what? A drop shot? You're drop shotting for redfish? Yeah, absolutely. I drop shot for redfish. Um, I use, you know, certain baits. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think, uh, that Z man, what's the trout? Uh, it's not a trout trick. It's a, it's a swimming trout trick. Yeah, that one. And the other one, hold on. I got, I got all my tackle out here. I got, you're good. You're good. Um, where is that bait? Um, I've I, I drop shot that bait um, a lot too, and then also a lot of the uh, a lot of the Berkeley Gulp stuff. They have a mud minnow uh, that you can actually nose hook and uh, and drop shot that. But drop shotting is uh, is is something that I do a lot uh, for finicky fish, and then also Tokyo rig. A lot of people are like, "What the heck is that?" That's a it's a bait. It's got a an offset hook, and it has a wire that drops down, and you can put whatever size weight that you want. And you use a tungsten, so if you want to, say, 3-8 or whatever, I like to take two small tungsten weights, and you put one with the barrel up or the cone up and the other with the cone down. And what you do is you put a Z-Man uh, shrimp on there, and when you're bringing that through that pluff mud or that little bit of mud, you jerk this bait. If you watch this bait in the water in the mud, a Tokyo rig, and this will blow people's minds. But if you'll throw that bait up there and jig it, toop, 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 jump, that thing's puffing up that mud just like a shrimp is digging. And if you really if you pay attention to that, you can work that bait and jump that bait and make those weights jump up and down that mud. Dude, it, it is insane to watch those fish go over and bite that. It's crazy. I've teamed up with Florida Fishing Products to outfit my guide service with their spinning reels, braided line, and fluorocarbon leader, and I'm looking forward to giving you some real-world feedback on their gear. I've been enjoying their Osprey CE for all my light tackle, redfish, and speckled trout, and Resolute for my beefier setups for big reds, cobia, tarpon, and jacks. I'm looking forward to helping further their mission to equip anglers to fish better, which couldn't align closer with our values here at Eastern Current. Be sure to check out their website, floridafishingproducts.com, or ask about them at your local tackle shop. Temple Fork Outfitters is the rod of choice for all of us here at Eastern Current. Whether we're fly fishing for shallow water redfish, sight casting to cobia from a tower, or dropping live pinfish to grouper in 100 feet of water, they have the rod for the job. Their customer service is unmatched by any rod company out there, and their rods can take the beating of everyday guide use without any issues. My favorite rod for redfish and speckled trout is their 7-foot medium-light tactical inshore spin rod. Be sure to check out their website, tforods.com. What weight Tokyo rig do you like? Oh, it just depends on how on shallow depth. you're fishing. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. now, like, I'll fish it. I'll fish it up in the flats, up in the grass, and if there's enough mud, you know, it's, you know, where I feel like I can effectively work that fish. But you can back off in in when the tide's out, you know, high pressure or whatever. You can you can work it. So three eight ounce to get it down deep, uh, two little quarter ounce uh, tungsten weight uh, up shallow. Um, you know, it, it doesn't really matter because what you're doing is is that that bait's standing about two inches off the bottom, and the weights are down in the mud, just kissing the mud. And the the key to it is is those weights are bouncing, and it it's just it it's it's crazy. I know you'll probably do some video, go video that, and it'll blow your mind how much that thing just poof poof poof. It's just, just making these little, and it will drive these fish crazy. Heck yeah! But the average 
fisherman, you know, you're getting into a lot of technical things. Um, the average guy, uh, top dog, food, uh, top water right now, picking up as the water weather gets better. Uh, for the average, average angler, uh, you, you know, we catch fish, you know, starting in February on top water, but, uh, but right now a good top water bite's going. Um, any swim bait, uh, you just put the, uh, I'm just trying to think, uh, chin lock hook, uh, I think Z Man picked that, that company up, uh, and, and those chin lock hooks will work. Uh, get you a diesel minnow, put a chin lock hook, and, and if the tide's up, you can get your boat back there, throw that up through the grass. That's a, Pretty easy, easy bait to catch them. Um, if the tide's out and everybody, you know, it's whatever nine o'clock in the morning, and all you, all everybody's out, just uh, you know, throw a, uh, a a regular easy shrimp on a weighted hook that, that comes pre-rigged, and on the oyster bars, a white with a chartreuse tail, uh, root bill uh, with a chartreuse tail. The only two colors you need. Uh, you can catch fish all year round on those two colors right there, and. Uh, just uh, downside, uh, 10, 12-pound um, fluorocarbon leaders and 15, 10-pound uh, braids get long cast. And uh, and these guys, they'll pick up fish. They'll catch fish. So I want to go into, before we get away from this, I want to I want you to share with people a little more on the jigging a spoon for redfish because I feel like out of, the, you know, we've talked about so many tactics on this podcast over the years, and I feel like that's one we've never touched on that's so effective that not many people are doing. And so, so walk yeah. me through kind of what that looks like day to day on the water here in North Carolina. I mean, and how that would translate obviously to anywhere else that there's redfish, but the kind of areas you're looking to jig a spoon in and, and how it's productive. So we'll start with the flat high tide. We're burning swim baits or whatever. And the grass line that you're fishing, you see is 20 yards from where you're fishing to inside that grass. So there's different zones of grass lines. So you have that sparse grass that you can work bait effectively. Then you have the other zone behind that, and it's super dense. And most people would never even dream of casting up in there because, one, you can't work a bait. That's the most productive area. Uh, it's like I tell my clients, I say, look, cast up into the grass. Well, they'll cast, you know, 30 yards up here. And it's like, no, no. I need you to cast all, you're like, they're like, really? That far? When you cast that spoon up there and you go in there, let that spoon fall and drop into the water and feed your line out and jig it one or two. It could be six inches, could be a foot. I don't know how deep it is, right. but those fish are laying right there. So finesse that bait back up over that stalk. Don't rip it. It's just a finesse tactic and bring it slowly and then let it drop back into the water and jig it. And then you'll be surprised. Bloom! I mean, that thing will go nuts. Um, working out of the flat, back to what we were saying with the creek, the creek channels. If you don't have a boat, you've got a, a larger boat, it's a bay boat, whatever. If you can flip any any highway going into the flat. You flip the outer edges of that grass in pockets, and, and you have to understand what's in that creek. It's a uh, horseshoe little bay. It's a, it's a current eddy. Um, there's, there's certain, um, key areas that are going to have the, you know, the fish staged up on it. You need to understand those key areas so you, you, you make yourself productive. But flipping that spoon into that grass, and now, now we're three feet deep because now we're into the small creek. Now, I mean, the creek's as wide as your boat. You know what I'm saying? It's not like a, right. a creek going in. Now, I'm not talking about the creek going into the, we're talking you know, the tributaries in, of the main creeks. Yeah, that's right. We're talking the little tight areas. And it might be two two boat lengths wide, but going in, you want to flip into the grass ahead of you and let that bait feed the line, let it go to the bottom, which I do it with school. That's why I use a three quarter uh, ounce uh, uh, spoon. Now, I do like a bait caster for that. I'm just used to, I can underhand cast it and it just boop, and it's like me jigging for bass down in Florida. I just do a, a neat little underhand boom, and then I'm used to, you know, jigging it with my, uh, with my left hand and then I reel with my right. I never even take the rod out of my hand. I just boop, 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 right. and then shake it. You know, it's just a little flip. Just what we do with ounce and a half weights down at Okeechobee fishing for bass. And it's, uh, it's super effective. I just did it the other day. Uh, the tide was out <clears throat> and I wanted to check that 
and went in there and, and I just I mean just two days ago I caught fish soon. I just uh, <clears throat> I caught them doing exactly what we're talking about. So is there a, a specific spoon or a few spoons that you prefer to fish? I know there's not a huge selection of let's say gold spoons or redfish spoons, if you will, but is there any uh, any tips you got? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And, and that's a big, big deal. Um, so that is, that's a huge deal. And there are a lot of spoons that you have to understand that's a whole nother gamut. Also, I mean, you have the, the aqua dream spoon, uh, for fishing over grass. Um, you have Bagley makes a spoon. Um, you know, all these different spoons are great, but the only spoon to use in that situation is the Johnson, uh, um, spoon. That's the only one um, that I would throw because of the weight and the way it's balanced. And that's the that's the spoon of choice for me. It's a three quarter ounce and a gold. Now, is that the Johnson spoon with the fixed hook and the the welded weed guard? Yeah, yeah, that's what I yeah. like to fish as well. That that yeah. weed guard's just so much stronger than than the other ones. Yeah, yeah. But now the Aqua Dream, the Bagley. Now you're getting back into fishing it over the Spartina grass or super shallow flats and you're doing different things. One, I like the hammered uh, um, body on it because it actually light penetrates it in different angles and it, and it creates a different flash. You can drop back if, it, if the water's a little tannic. You can drop back to copper. Copper makes a big difference. We, we found this years ago with a uh, spinnerbait blade uh, fishing the James River um, fish and stuff like that in that tannic water we found that copper made just a different way of color it, it showed in the water that bass seemed to eat that better so I throw a lot of copper spoons in tannic water if the water's not gin clear got a little bit of that dirty dark look to it um, I'll go to a copper bait um, that makes a huge difference but yeah spoons uh, they're huge uh, when you buy a Johnson Silver Minnow or whatever they call that uh, spoon um, take your pliers, bend the hook up a little bit. It needs to come up just a little bit, maybe a 30 seconds uh, of an inch. Just you need to you need to tilt it up a little bit, pull the weed guard up a little bit, and it it doesn't get hung. I mean, you can pull it through any grass. I don't care, you know. And I I fish the densest of grass, and that's what I look for. Super super tight grass. If you if we went out fishing, you'd see me cast. You'd be like, you're crazy. I mean, it's that dense. I fish super super shallow super super gnarly i look for the most gnarliest stuff and you know i use my boat as, as a four-wheeler i mean i'm <laughs> super shallow it is it's trash every day i had to take me an hour to get that thing detailed coming back because it's full of mud and just it's just you know it's havoc right so i think to wrap this up i would love to talk a little bit about your boat and the advantages of that boat for you and how you fish here because it's not a very common boat to see up here in north carolina it's a simmons cat right yeah full tunnel um it's uh super lightweight um <clears throat> they're more they built those boats in texas for the you know the tournament trails and stuff like that super fast uh you know it's it, it's a that boat floats really shallow for the size. Um, you know, some of these tournaments that we fish, we have to run long distances. Um, I've always been a, a, a fan of the cat. They're efficient. They're fast. They float shallow. Um, it's paramount. That's a whole nother topic on rigging your boat. Uh, I custom rig boats. I race boats all over the country. So rigging and racing and balance is very, uh, very important to me. I run a 21 inch jack plate uh, on the back. They're like, oh my God, what are you talking about? Yeah, I've got 21 inches, uh, 17 inches of travel. Uh, that plate will, will pick the motor up. And, and if people understood <clears throat> that just up in shallow water, if you have a, a, a motor just alone on your boat, an average guy's got a, a boat and he's got his motor on the transom, you're up in shallow water. The first thing you do is you're going to tilt your engine. So you the the props not hitting the bottom. So what you've created is a fulcrum. So the motor, now the props face into the top of the uh, water column. And when you gooch it to try to get over that mud, it pushes the bottom of the boat down. So you're like, vroom, vroom. and all it's doing is banging the bottom of the boat. And I've been telling people at boat shows for 25 years, if you'll put a jack plate on that boat and whatever brand you like, 
six inches or eight inches, whatever you need for setback, you now can elevate the engine six inches up, try to put your put the motor in the highest hole that it can go. Now you're eight inches to 12 inches up. Now the motor is perfectly straight up and down and it's not hitting the bottom. And now when you thrust it or gooch it to get over that thing, now it's going to propel the boat into a straight manner instead of pushing the bottom down. And it's very, very important. So that's why I use such an aggressive uh, jack plate on mine because I can actually pick mine up above the bottom of the boat and turn it into a negative camber. And, and you know, I'm a little bit different. I'll run seven, ten inches of water wide open. I don't care. I mean, I'm, I'm super shallow. My boat will take off in less than a foot of water. Uh, I had a client the other day. We let the tide get out. And we were fishing way, way back in an area. And he's like, dude, we, we're not getting out of here. And I was like, I have one little hole that has a foot of water in it. It's only about 10 feet long. And I think I can blow us out of here. And uh, and we're a half a mile, and it's six inches. All you can see is the bottom. You right. know, he was on the back. I had him sitting on the front deck in reverse looking at me. And he was like pointing the whole way. I was like, yeah, dude. I mean, this thing, there's no water. So that's why I use that boat is, to uh to navigate in 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 and out of super super shallow water and its design is perfectly balanced um it's super lightweight uh and that's the key to all boats whether it's your um maverick or if it's the pathfinder that you go offshore with balance where to place the battery where um you you know you you put your tackle everything is is very very thought out in my boat for balance in, in CG center of gravity. Uh, I race boats. Uh, we have to put our motor in a certain position. So if you took your Maverick and you had a cherry picker at home, or if you had a crane somewhere in your shop, you could pick your boat up, take a strap, put it under the boat, about right behind the console and pick the boat up. It could still be on the trailer, you know, under the trailer where it don't fall or anything, but pick the boat up and then move that strap and balance that boat out to where it's floating in air on that strap. Then place your battery. Then place your tackle and put your trolling motor on the left side. Maybe put your trolling motor on the right side. Balance that boat out, then rig your boat. Now you are completely centered. You've you centered, balanced that entire boat. That boat will run faster. It'll be more fuel efficient. It won't beat you up in rough water. You won't get sprayed on. And it will fly. It, 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 it's a huge difference. I set boats up all over the country. And, and I've been doing this for a super long time. And it makes a huge difference. Tremendous difference. Yeah, that's something I feel like is it, it's so it's one of the really fun parts about our boats is getting them just dialed in how we want them to make them the best machine for the, the job, yep. you know, and, and I feel like that's something I've never I, I take into I take it into account in a small scale of like, I do balance my my own stuff out, but even then, when like clients bring stuff on the boat, and I, you know, I'll I'll pack a bunch of stuff in one hatch or something, and then, you yep. know, I'm essentially just creating more work for myself pulling. So it's really uh, I'm yep. the only one that suffers from it in that stance. But it's uh, it's cool well, to it really dial all that stuff in. It'll help you in shallow water too, for sure. And that's the, that's the whole key, the art of this, because that's all we do is fish shallow water. You know, yeah. it's. Uh, you know, you in our fishing and what we're doing, technically red fishing, serious shallow water red fishing. You don't need electronics. Uh, I mean, right. you just don't you, you don't need them. I mean, you're super shallow. Uh, my transducer stays tore off the boat. It's zip tied to the power pole right now. I tear it off every time I go. I mean, it's it right. just you fish super, super, super shallow. And uh, if you have a balanced boat. Um, You'll be surprised how much skinnier you can get. Batteries are a big choice. Get away from the wet cell batteries. Uh, you can't afford lithium. Uh, go to any AGM battery. Go to an Optima. Uh, they weigh 30, I think they're 36 pounds. Uh, go to an Odyssey. Um, depending on what your time frame of fishing is. I fish from daylight to dark. I'm a serious angler. I don't play around. I fish long, long hours. And I run a, a, a wireless foot control on my um, 
trolling motor, so I'm on my trolling motor constantly because I'm scouting, scouting, scouting. So I need batteries to last all day. If you're a four-hour guy, get the little tiny Odyssey. You can run a 24, 36, I run a 36-volt system, um, super lightweight battery. Um, I'm not a big fan of a lot of – I do a lot of shows. I go to the Miami Boat Show, Yellowfin, um, all those guys that build these custom skiffs and everything. I love boats, so I really dig – and, and get to enjoy looking at all the different boats, but I'm not a fan of putting batteries in the bow of the boats. I think that's what I just, I think that's crazy. Um, they put the fuel cells up there. Um, right. <clears throat> I think that, <clears throat> I think the fuel cells <clears throat> in those, in those boats shouldn't be in the bow. I know that you're trying to balance it for the guy on the back on the polling platform, but I think that, that if you could center, center that fuel cell under the uh, console, to some degree, uh, put the batteries under the console. Uh, you're balancing that boat out. Um, and I know they know more than I do, uh, because they built the boats, but I'm, I'm just, you know, I see these fuel cells up there and I see these batteries up there. It's like, oh, you know, it's just, you know, each boat's different, I guess. Yeah, most definitely. And it's all about, you know, it's all about kind of getting your boat rigged the way you need it. So, well, man, that was a incredible. Uh, almost hour there of just really good knowledge and, and points that we ha- we haven't talked about really on this podcast. No, no we need to do another one because I'd like to help these guys that listen um, maintenance on their boats and keeping um, their motors, uh, you know, up the par where they're not having to run, not to take away from the boat dealer, um, but if they can fix a water pump at home or if they can, figure out or diagnose the motor so they're not down if they got a trip the next day or if they're going out with their buddies they're not down everybody is three weeks to a month behind you can't be down for a month i surely can't be down for a month uh the average angler uh you know he's going to lose three weeks of the best prime time fishing on something simple uh preventative maintenance um carrying some of the tools and, and tricks that they can you know fix uh some stuff right there on the water to get them back home and have, instead of having to call somebody to tow them in. And, and so there's a whole, whole, whole nother segment there we can tap on. Yeah. I think that's something that could be very, very beneficial. And, you know, with the, the idea obviously of, of just keeping that boat in the water and, and allowing you to fish more. So, but man, uh, tell people real quick before we, before we sign off where they can find you, uh, how they can get a hold of you and, and whatnot, if they want to try fishing with you. Yeah, Oak Island Sport Fishing Charters. I'm right here on Oak Island. Um, it's Oak Island Sport Fishing Charters dot com. Uh, call me 704-361-1523 on my cell or flatfishingtv at gmail dot com. Awesome. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much. I'll have all that linked in the show notes as well. Uh, you guys, thanks for listening to another Eastern Current podcast, and we'll see you next week. Later. If you're anything like me, you like a clean boat. That's why I've chosen to partner with Carolina First Mate out of South Carolina. Carolina First Mate is a family-owned business that provides environmentally friendly boat cleaning alternatives. My two favorite products are their hole cleaner that doesn't harm your trailer and their boat wash. Be sure to use code EC15 for 15% off your online purchase. If you're interested in checking out all their products, you can find a link to their website in the podcast show notes.